0: Hey, welcome to Cold Turkey Podcasts. Um, happy New Year, everyone! Uh, we're January second. Um, as I record this, we're a bit before that, but I hope and wish you a, a, a better New Year than last year. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 so. Uh, my batteries are full right now because I just finished recording, uh, my, my podcast with, uh, Noah and, uh, God damn it. Sometimes, you know, like I told him after we recorded that, uh, sometimes you discuss with someone that you, you can relate to. And sometimes you discuss with someone that you relate a bit less and you know, like you that you, there's like, um. Almost an exercise, a mental exercise of finding a phrase or, you know, like a term, you know, like some, some, some sentences that you, you, you find yourself, you know, like, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's me, you know. Um, in the case of Noah, there was some passage and, you know, like the, the conversation we had where I was like, who the fuck debriefed Noah about my life story? You know, like not this early and, you know, like in, in, you know, like in, in events, but especially in feelings and in ways that you know like he felt about himself or 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 even you know like some of the perception it was it was weird um to a point where you know like even even you know like we don't have the image but I did um you know like the the stuff that he was drinking during our recording I was actually drinking the same thing, you know, like, which was just like odd coincidence, you'd say. But, you know, um, it was, uh, it was, well, sincerely noted by your host, me, you know. (laughs) Um, It was great. It was great conversation. uh, And, you know, like, I appreciated it quite, quite profoundly and and greatly. just wanted to let you know, you know, like I, I changed my podcast also. Nothing, no impact for you guys, you know, like unless you have problems finding the podcast. But um, it changed, uh, you know, like some stuff in terms of my analytics and, you know, like eventually, you know, like knowing more about my audience, uh, which will make me adapt. And, you know, like I, I try to always make the podcast evolve. I will try to also update... Um, probably the image of the podcast you know like change the logo um, make it maybe a bit more elaborate as well the intro and outro songs I'm, I'm working on that um only because you know like I'm about to um go through the second year anniversary you know like which is in March but um I'm I'm really happy about it you know like and I'm 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 proud of myself to be honest and you know um and still, you know, like if you want to share the podcast, let the podcast know to your friends, family, um, people you know, your contacts. Uh, don't hesitate to do so. I'm always available to talk, you know, like, so you can message me, DM me. Um, I will answer to all of your questions or, or comments. And uh, without further ado, here's Noah. Enjoy. Hey Noah, uh, how
1: you doing? I'm good. Alex, how are you tonight?
0: I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, we did a lot of chatting before the uh, recording, but uh, yeah, it was a crazy year. Uh, just
1: uh, <laughs> I hadn't noticed what happened. Did something happen? It's been totally normal here in New York.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm coming to that. You know, like I've, I've been asking the same question for the past nine months. Um, where are you located? You just said it, New York. And how has the pandemic been for you in terms of, you know, like the impact on your life, maybe your professional life and even your sobriety?
1: Well, um, wow, that's a bunch. First of all, I'm located in Brooklyn, New York, in an area of Brooklyn called Park Slope. Um, The pandemic has been interesting to be part of and also to witness. You know, being, I'm 57 years old, so I'm not, I'm not young and I'm not freaked out by life anymore. Um, And I'm also, I'm also a sober man. So I have, in a weird way, I think being sober, and I've talked to a bunch of people about this, being sober during the pandemic has been a gift because we live lives that are focused on the day at our, at our best. We try to live one day at a time. And I think everybody else has sort of, whether against their will or not, had to just live one day at a time because everything has been changing so rapidly. Um, my sobriety has exploded and I've gone to more meetings in during the pandemic because of Zoom and being locked down than I've almost ever gone to. And I found a new sponsor Um, because I went to a a meeting via zoom in LA and I heard this guy speak and he had 48 years and he sounded like Yoda and he's a spiritual monster. Um, his name is Luther woods. I want to give him credit. Um, he's 83 years old with 48 years of sobriety. And we started working the steps together and it's the third day I was working with him. He said, you look lighter because we have zoom meetings and i said i feel lighter i said i don't know what you've done but you've changed so i feel stronger spiritually emotionally uh workwise uh it's been a weird time uh i was i work for a company called soul cycle i'm a senior instructor there it's a spinning class it's uh, indoor cycling so we haven't been able to do any indoor exercise you know they were paying us 100% salary then they dropped us to 75% salary then 50% salary then they furloughed us I was furloughed for about two and a half months until they reopened uh, with studios outside. So right now I'm currently teaching soul cycle or spin classes outside in a tent with a little bit of heat, but it's cold and it's fun when the people are still showing up.
0: The question I have for you you you, you talked about the Zoom meeting. I had a lot of conversation with my uh, with my guests about, you know, like the my initial shock about connecting virtually to a meeting, um, and I mean by that that you know, like I was, I was kind of used to connecting to the, um, I don't know, you, I will, you know, like I will, I will phrase it by, you know, like the spirit of the room or you know, like the the um, yeah. feeling, the vibe, and the energy of a room, which I found, you know, like I had a much harder time to find in in a Zoom meeting initially. Um, how did you adapt to that?
1: You know, there's a there's a great line uh, that says in the big book of AA that says, acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. If I'm upset, it's because I don't like some person, place, thing or some aspect of my life. And I've, you know, I've really I try to live in acceptance. And a lot of people take acceptance and they go, well, I'm just gonna let bad things happen to me. But this wasn't a bad thing. I was getting to meet people and see people and attend meetings all over the world and you know i created some great friendships i have some great friendships because of the zoom that i don't that i you know that i haven't even i've only met one guy and and i out of 40 or 50 new friends that i consider really good friends even though we've never met in person because we speak the same language when we felt the same pain and we know each other's stories without, our, without having to hug. Do I love the rooms of AA? Yes. Do I can't, I, I can't wait to get back in a big room. Sure. But for right now, if zoom is all I have, then I'm going to be okay with it. Wow. <laughs> Bless that. Amen to that. Jeez. <laughs> what, what, what's the choice
0: being angry at it? No, no, like, no. What, I mean, it was, it was actually kind of, um, embracing what i felt you know like i i i it was it was it was just um i didn't feel it you know like for me it was weird i was like wow i don't i don't feel what i you know, like I, I wasn't that, you know, like that big of a hugger, for example, or that big of, you know, like the, I had my, I have like my clothes. It's, it's funny. You talked about, you know, like your, your sponsor being 80 something. My sponsor is 79 years old. That's 49 years of sobriety. Um He's, you know, like a wisdom, you know, just like a, a endless, um, provision of wisdom and spirituality, you know, like, and always ever expanding what, you know, like the, the, um, you know, like what morale is and, you know, like always, you know, like pushing always the limits of, you know, like his thoughts and, you know, like learning every day. And, you know, so, and I do have like a close, you know, like, like a close network of, of people that, you know, like I, I do like to hang around. um. When I was walking into a room, there was something that I couldn't find in, in meetings, uh, virtual virtual meetings, and I felt yeah, it was just like actually sharing about it, you know, like made it much better after that. You know, like people would say, you know, like, well, you just you just you're a testimony of that. You know, like you found a sponsor in LA and you probably would have never find him if it wasn't for those virtual meetings.
1: Yeah, that's how i found my sponsor like he lives in palm springs and i and every every sunday you know we were talking about this last night all people that he sponsors we have a get together we don't call it a meeting really because it's not like he you know he leads it off and he just sort of talks about his week and we all just talk about our weeks but these are guys you know listen i'm the baby in the group at 13 years of sobriety these guys are all 25 35 45 years of sobriety and I said to them last night, I'm incredibly grateful for the, to the pandemic, um, for bringing me you guys. Yeah. I would have never met these men who have, who are massively important to me. Now my sponsor, I would have never met him. So it's like, imagine, you know, that we, we who are sober and we get these zoom meetings, if we take out the part where, you know, if we just, if we were just normal people and we had, we weren't sober. We would have gone through this pandemic and all these lockdowns, which have been much worse in the US because our government has handled it so terribly and everybody's broke. And now we just, we're getting $600. But imagine going through all of this sitting in your apartment alone and the only Zoom meetings you have are for work. You're not connecting. At least we're connecting. We see each other's faces. We hear stories. We share. We are able to share our feelings and our emotions and say, hey, this is bothering me. And somebody listens and responds to that. Everybody else in the world doesn't have that.
0: Yeah.
1: They don't see other people. They don't see a room full of faces of people who have gone through the exact same thing they have and have found a better way out. Like, so I think it's a blessing. I mean, if this has happened 20 years ago, we would have been doing phone calls. Would have been like trying to do conference calls.
0: That would have been, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, like like you bring a great point, you know, like technology, you know, like the, as uh, completely changed the face of that situation. You know, like if it wasn't for it, I mean, you're right. You know, like I, I would see myself, you know, like on a rotating, you know, rotating phone. Like, you know. <laughs> that, that would have been a disaster.
1: We have, we are able to connect with other, our fellow sober people and that's a beautiful gift yeah it was for everybody else i know so many people that have just been suffering and especially during the summer when everybody was locked down and they were they were just really we were really really locked down in new york and nobody was going out and for months and every night every night or every day every afternoon or any morning that i wanted to i could look up a, a phone number a number on the web and find a meeting at any hour somewhere in the world yeah and just in
0: as um have you seen the impact of the confinement to some people in your own region that um
1: had a hard time keeping their sobriety um no i haven't really had a hard time keeping their sobriety what's been the incredible thing that i've been able to watch is quite the reverse it's the i've met a bunch of young kids through about three or four different sober livings down here Kids that checked in during the pandemic to sober living or rehab, they don't, they've don't. they never been to a meeting in person. And they've got like six or nine months or a year sober, almost nine months or so. And they've never been to a real meeting. They only know Zoom. And they were able to stay sober through Zoom. Wow. They met sponsors. They worked the steps. They helped other people. So it's like that's been like the thing that I've been most blown away by like they're going to be so like incredibly blown away when we're finally allowed to be humans again because humans are meant to interact we're we're meant to be communal that's why AA works because it's in our DNA we're 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 tribal yeah. we're we're herd animals it's what nobody likes to use that word that we're animals but we're we're meant to cooperate with other people and we're meant to work with other people and that's the beauty of AA is that we work with other people and that's why it feels so good that everybody has this common goal of helping each other and helping themselves
0: yeah i mean there's a one of my guests had um she had three weeks sober mm-hmm. and um and went into <laughs> lockdown and she had enough time to actually find some friends but you know like you're describing a situation where they didn't even have that opportunity that's even crazier you know like so so there's going to be like sober you know like sober newcomers that had yet to see a room full of people physical room full of people that you know like uh share share their stories you know like so that's really be, be
1: beautiful and i think i think zoom will go on oh for sure and <laughs> then will go on even when everybody's loud because it's such a great resource for people. So and I hope another- so,
0: and I hope so because you know, like there are regions here in Quebec that you know, like there's less than a meeting a week or a meeting a week, and that's not enough. You know, like for for people, you know, like I hope that you know, like well, I have confirmation that a few are going to stay open. Um, I don't know if all of them, but it will it will keep going for sure, and it's gonna be, um, it's gonna be introduced into you know, like the the. You know, like the funds that, you know, like were, we're um that the seventh tradition uh recuperates, it's gonna be funded in there, you know, like just to be sure that, you know, like some meetings stay open. Um I guess forever because you know like it has changed completely. You know, like that was my first one of the first thing I did, you know, I like guess to see how much the world organization has got involved into kind of ruling um how do we, you know, like how do we um manage a virtual meeting. You know, like if someone does not cooperate, you know, like how do we manage that? And, you know, like most of the bigger worldwide organizations, you know, like, and I mean by that, you know, like the NA and the AA at guidelines, you know, like to, how do we keep that um, a safe environment for someone to come in and the newcomer to not feel unwelcomed? And, you know, it was it was great, you know, like to see that.
1: It was a quick turnaround. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's it's, I've been... I've been, you know, amazed by it. Of course, have I had moments where we're locked in the apartment for months at a time and I'm barely getting out or just going out every day for a walk and it got crazy and it got claustrophobic? Of course. You know, but just like every every feeling I've ever had, it passes. And when I get into gratitude and I realize I'm living in pity, self-pity and I get into gratitude and I become grateful for things, I feel better. It's just a very simple transition. It took me decades to figure that out, you know, and I had to run my life into the ground before I felt in in sobriety and out of it. But once I learned that gratitude is the answer and service to others is the answer, then it's been much easier sledding.
0: Yes, I mean, like the, just the journey of that, you know, like having those conversations for the past uh, almost two years now, have been um, a blessing in disguise almost. You know, like I didn't I didn't want to do it for you know egoistic purpose, but it was more of an experience I was doing, you know, like to see, you know, like to to kind of swallow in and like a sponge of culture and you know like the, the you know like knowing people and knowing more and more people. And um you just say you, you just said it, you know, like the the it's an a humbling and uh, a giving back experience that I almost didn't expect. You know, like I, it was an experience that you know, like I, I don't want to stop anymore. You know, like I feel a like responsibility to keep going, and you know, like and I love it. You know, like so, it's um, yeah. <laughs> for me, <laughs> it was just weird doing that. You know, like you know, like I, I enjoyed it. You know, like a lot first, and then eventually it became almost like an obligation for me. You know, like. Okay, you know, like I need, you know, like I need to find new people. I need to. Um, there's a duty around that of, you know, like because, you know, like it's it's a lot of work to find guests, and you know, like I I I I'm force myself to, you know, I like kind of expand the horizon of the podcast for, um, for the listeners actually. So, yeah, it's. I, um, yeah. Let's rewind that Noah tape. And bring me back to the early times, you know, like I always tell my, my guests either by, you know, like, um, substance abuse that has impacted you at young age or your own.
1: Um, and, you know, bring me back there. I'll give you, I'll give you a little, a little try to try to make it a brief story. Um, I was born and raised in the. What is called the tri-state area of new york new jersey and connecticut um i was 10 years old when i started drinking and doing drugs uh, i had a friend that had two older brothers that were 13 and they gave me acid and they gave me pot and they gave me cocaine and they gave me everything mushrooms so between the ages of 10 and 11 i pretty much started everything <laughs> and the drinking is the thing that i sustained i can continued smoking cigarettes until until i was a little older until i was about 14 or 15 and then i got into cocaine um and that was really the game changer for me um you know my three favorite things were bourbon marijuana and cocaine but i would take anything
0: bring me back, back to that. the bring me back to your 10 years old what was the family picture like what was your you know like what what kind of
1: kid were you perfect family beautiful the most loving parents in the world we moved a lot but it was all within you know about a 40 mile radius my father was uh changing jobs i went to nine schools in three states in 12 years so i we moved and i was the new kid a lot so i believe that you know what i don't know what the effect of that was i know that you know it fed into I had a weird name, Noah was a weird name back then. I didn't look like, I I had big fucking huge curly black hair and everybody else had straight blonde hair or brown hair. And, you know, I couldn't even put a comb through my hair. And I, you know, I felt different and I felt awkward. And so um, moving all the time and being the new kid fed into that feeling of feeling less than low self-esteem. Uh, that low sense of self worth. Um, and, and I just felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb. So my parents are the most loving, supportive people you've ever met, and they kind my I have a brother, and he's five years younger than me. And he was he was, you know, we weren't, you know, we were close. I was growing up, we were fine. But I was just, I was on a mission, I was on a mission to not people always talk about they had a they had the first drink, and it made them feel complete and i always talk about when i first started drinking i didn't feel complete i just hated myself a little less i didn't i didn't think i was so horrible as i did when i was sober if that makes any sense
0: it does um the other thing is what kind of um you know, like I, sometimes I hear that you know, like there there's either two choices when you move a lot and you become like the new kids and the new kid in town. There's either like the extra extra uh, extrovert, right? Like the the yeah. pushing, being the class clown, and you know, like just making yourself noted. That's me. Okay,
1: <laughs> yeah. I've never I've never been an introvert. Okay, never. <laughs> I I in my mind I am. Yeah, with my tooth. I'm very introverted with what my truth is, but oddly I'll make you laugh. There's you know, there's a story, I've got a book coming out and there's a story of when I was, it was starting when I was elementary school, I camera, I think it was fourth grade and there was a candy store on the way to the school. And I would stop by the candy store and I would buy like a bag of candy. And I would be the kid that showed up at class at school with a ton of candy. And everybody's like, Oh my God. So I would like make friends through giving candy. Even though to, even though you're like me.
0: and even though your self perception was considering yourself shit almost.
1: Yeah, I mean, and this is all retrospect. Oh, this for sure. All, this is all looking back. But I know I know I didn't, I didn't I never I never felt comfortable being me. You know, looking back, what I say is like I felt like shit and I didn't like myself. This is all me looking back fifty-seven, you know, fifty something years later. Yep. But that bag of candy in fourth grade. Became a big bag, bigger, much bigger bag of cocaine by the time I was in ninth grade, and it was just the same. I'm still the same. Well, I think we're all just are with the same kids. We work on it, but the, the, the who we are as kids never leaves us.
0: Oh no, 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 no. and you know, like I, I'm, I'm a giver in life. You know, like so I was always the the giving type. You know, like and and much less comfortable receiving. I would, mm-hmm. you know, like I love. Um, I love putting a smile on people's face, you know, like I love, um, so, um, and I, you know, like it, it's tough to make me laugh,
1: you know, like I, I'm the same way,
0: (laughs) you know, I mean, um, so, 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 you know, like I have like a a close network of friends. there's three buddies that I have that we have the most fucked up humor, that you can ever hear, and you know, like I hope, you know, I hope God that you know, like no one will ever hear it, because you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and this makes me laugh, you know, like the the most messed up jokes, you know, like we we, we laugh about anything, anything, death, sickness. I mean, just yeah. just sick people, you know, like just. <laughs>
1: I've got my best friend. If anybody ever saw, if anybody ever saw our text, they'd be like, you are the worst people ever.
0: Exactly. My wife yeah. always says, you guys are going to go to hell. You know that, right? And I'm like, no, no, no. This, you don't get it.
1: <laughs> just if I go to hell, just as long as he's there, I'm okay.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Bring me with them. And you know, we're going to be set, you know,
1: <laughs> all my friends will be there.
0: <laughs> They'll kick me out. Um, yeah. So, so at 10 things picks up quite fast in your in your situation.
1: Yeah, um we moved to at 10 10th tenth, tenth grade you are saying? I mean, or t- like at t- 10
0: t- years t- old you said that you experienced like the first pretty much everything, like the full everything. menu. <laughs> yeah.
1: Everything. It was, you know, 230 it was like 1973. These two, these guys were 13 and they were, you know, it was like that's it was like that 70s show. You know, and it was like they were just like you know what happens, you know. And I was, what happens when you give them weed? What happens when you give them coke? What happens give give them acid? You know, like it was that sort of thing. And uh I, I was, I you know, of course, I wanted to be liked. So, and I wanted to be a tough guy. So I would never say no because I didn't want to be called a pussy. You know, I would. That was my entire childhood, my young adulthood, and my, you know, you, you want to jump off this building? Sure. Let's fucking jump, let's jump over the bridge. Let's jump off these rocks. Like I always said yes. With Don't little- say I dare you to know why <laughs> I dare you it was just every single time. Um, and you know, it's that became the theme. And it was like, you know, I had to go, I had to party harder than everybody, I had to drink harder than everybody, I had to drink for more days, I had to keep going when everybody else had passed out
0: was yeah. there indication before that of you know like <clears throat> I always talk about you know like the i i probably i i would say between five and ten years old and my father on in springtime asked me to empty the uh, snowmobile of their gasoline so you know like doing the you know like suck on the siphon thing and you know i like, can and uh I got a buzz out of gasoline yeah and you know like to this day, I I consider that, I don't know, 95% of the people would have been scared shitless if at seven years old, they would catch a buzz, but it didn't scare me. And I think this was great indication of what, of things that were coming, you know? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and um, did you have, you know, like, again, in retrospect, you know, like, was there any indication of either by your behaviors or, um by by i don't know overeating or you know like wanting you know like almost endlessly attention from your parents you know like was there indication of you having kind of this in you
1: already i think it would be you know the desire to make people happy make people laugh make people feel better um you know that was i remember being on stage i was i was an actor in this play i was in I mean, about 11 years old, maybe 10 or eight not even nine or 11 years old, somewhere around there. And I was the star of the show and I was the unexpected. I didn't have a starring role, but I made my role so over the top and so big that everybody was laughing and everybody was having the best time. And I got a little write up in the newspaper and I loved that attention. Um, I always was making jokes and I was, you know, but I was actually very really good at it eventually i ended up as a stand-up comedian in los angeles because that drove me but it started very young i was i was i was a performer i wanted to i want i was like a court jester i wanted to make you happy you know I, if, you, if if everybody else were kings i was the only court jester and i it was my job to make everybody feel good and comfortable and relaxed And then I grew up and I threw the best parties and then I grew up a little more and I ran nightclubs and bars and they were always the best nightclubs and the best bar. I was a host and I wanted you to have a good time. I always felt it. I wanted you to have a good time. Now in sobriety, now my life is dedicated to service and helping people. So I'm still, I've just taken that same impulse from childhood and just turned it on its ear and given it a different shifted the paradigm to helping other people in a healthy way and what which also helps myself
0: and um eventually um so it grew from 10 years old testing everything and you said within a year you pretty much was hooked on
1: um some of this stuff from the menu um yeah within within a year or two it was you know definitely booze and weed constantly what
0: was your relation with school, then, you know, like you explained a bit about it, but then what it, what, how did it transform, um, you know, because obviously, you know, like being the class clown and you know, like the court jester, you know, like you're, you're not the most appreciated one, even though you know, like you find a way to make even them laugh, you know, like not only your colleagues in class but your teachers. But you know like I guess adding substance into the mix changes your relation to authority right you know I get
1: I was I was a terrible student I was tested when I was young I was tested I had a genius level IQ by the time I graduated high school I was in the bottom 5% of my class I was a terrible student I was a procrastinator I was a liar I was dishonest I had no um I had no passion for school. I didn't want to learn i didn't want it just didn't feel important to me once I got old enough to start hustling and hustling means drug dealing and hustling, whatever it is you know street crime things like that no no violence against few people or civilians, but you know hustling I understood money i didn't understand I didn't care about grades so yeah you know, that by the time I was in high school, junior high school, I was just blowing off assignments and I wouldn't write papers and I would have my father fucking write them for me at the very last minute, the night they were due because he was a great writer. And, uh, you know, so I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't put value in education.
0: Did your parents see changes and did they noted it to you?
1: Yeah they did about 13 or 14. They started like taking me to a therapist, but you know, I would lie to the therapist and I would lie to them. It's, you know, the therapists are only good, as good as you are. If you tell them the truth and you know, they would say, Noah has some antisocial behavior and you know what, I can't even remember what the diagnosis was there, but you know, it didn't matter. You know, nothing, just, I was just doing, I was doing enough just to get by and the rest of my time was dedicated to making me whatever version of happiness i was at that point
0: and it's it's um you know like it's an ironic to look at it and you know like such a way that um when you were you know like younger it was about getting the bag of candies to make people happy but you know like eventually becomes trying to buy peace you know like mm-hmm. so so you know like you want to See, you know, like you want me to see a therapist, I'll see a therapist. You know, like you want me yeah. to, you know, like you, you want me to acknowledge that I have a problem. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I do have a problem. And, you know, like whatever you say that can make uh, kind of the peace, you know, like the temporary
1: peace 3D. It would pacify them. Yeah. Yeah. It would pacify them. It would be, okay, you want me to do this? Sure, I'll do this. I had no, I had no objections. I didn't fight anything, but I didn't do anything about it. You know, I just, I would show up. I would go to, they'd make appointments. I would go to the appointment. I'd sit with the person. I'd frustrate the shit out of the person. You know, they to bring me back for a couple more times. And the person would be like, I can't work with (laughs) them. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing to do. Was, um, was there.
0: So I guess there wasn't much ambition after high school into going to college and, you know, like, was there like,
1: you know well, i went well i went to college but i was running away i went to college in texas because uh there were contracts out i got i got very 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 heavily involved in cocaine dealing from let's say 1978 to 1982 in new york city when new york was like this epicenter of everything and i got i there there were people who were trying to kill me um and i there were contracts out of my life so i ran away to texas to go to college that was convenient
0: you conveniently found
1: a program in texas (laughs) i was sitting i was sitting on a i wasn't planning on going to college and then everybody left for college and then i was like "Shit, i want to go to i should go to college i should run away and i was sitting with a with a girlfriend of mine on a beach and she was from texas and i said what's a good school to go to in Texas. She said, Oh, you got to go to Southwest Texas state. That's the party school. And I was like, I'm going there. And I called my father and I said, I found this college and he had some connections. He was very, he was doing very well in the corporate world in uh, America at that point and the United States. And he pulled some strings and I was accepted into that school 48 hours later. Wow and I left uh, left about 10 days after that to a school I had never there were no I had no pictures of it I had a map they 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 FedExed me a map overnight that was it
0: <laughs> and what would have been what was your ambitions in terms of you know like what was the class taken at the school
1: Uh-oh. Oh I got didn't I just I signed up for whatever they told me to sign up for I got a I got an A plus. I went there for for a full for two semesters. I got an A plus each semester in scuba diving, and a withdrawal fail in every other class.
0: (laughs) So great scuba diver, but not you know.
1: (laughs) Scuba diving. We would get in a van. We would drive out to a lake. We would have a we would have cases of beer and tons of weed, which I would supply, and I would supply all the coke. We would scuba dive, and then we would sit on a lake until way into the night because it was warm and it was beautiful and it's the Texas countryside and we would sit there in swimsuits and snort coke and smoke weed and play guitars and I got an A you know so it was like that's all that mattered that it was the fun it was the most fun class I'd ever taken and I love scuba diving
0: did um, the involvement in the you know like in the um, stuff that made you you know like almost um, on a death warrant um you know like how do you you know like how you know like how does it progress you know like from from buying to selling do you know like how you know like how insidious it is it to you know like in terms of you know like obviously you know like I guess you know like they they love the loud speaking you know like kind of the jester type you know like that can make make
1: things happen but uh I had two I have I've I had two personas or two people that I had to be. So when I was out with people and I was in New York city and I was at the nightlife, you know, I, w- I could be outgoing and friendly and, you know, positive. And, you know, so I was a salesman, you're selling something. Then when it comes to the people, the Italian men that I was dealing with, um, you have to be very, very quiet and just respectful and just do what you're told. So I would sell and then I would bring my money back and I would give it to them and then they would say, okay, now move this, now you move that. And it's, you know, when I was 10 years old, a friend's sister had me run a bag of weed about a block away and deliver it to somebody else and bring the $20 back. And that was my first drug deal when I was 10. So by the time I was 15, I was in the city, I was in New York City, constantly and i it's you know it started out with you know you know an ounce here and a couple ounces there and then then it was kilos then it was 10 kilos and 100 kilos and standing in roomfuls of money with colombians and um you know it get it escalated very quickly but it was i i was i was built for that because i could be very quiet and i could be a chameleon i could deal with the haitians i could deal with the jamaicans i could deal with the asians i could deal with the italians i could deal with everybody and just like chameleon be able to adapt to any situation. If it required me to be in quiet and low key and a little subservient, I could do that. If somebody needed me to be more aggressive, to be physical, to be more of a presence and like help, you know, take care of business, I could do that as well. So I was just, I was this chameleon and I ran around, you know, for a lot of my life and I, I honed those chameleon-like skills which lasted me for a good portion of my life.
0: I don't like that expression, but how long did it stay in control? And you know, like I hope you understand what I'm saying, you know, like in terms of you know, like it was, you know, like I was pretty much the same in terms of you know, like it was always excessive, but you know, like it felt in control for a while. Um, Either by having enough money for it, or or by me feeling in control. You know, <laughs> I don't. Know.
1: Of, I, I didn't. I didn't have. I didn't need to have control because I had. I had the product. Yeah. With, the, with all the with all the if you're a cocaine addict and you've got you know ten pounds of cocaine, you're fine. And you know, hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four and five hundred thousand dollars, you're great. You know, it's when I started becoming my best customer and the cocaine suppliers cut me off and I became unreliable. That's when everything really crashed down and I had to start lying and cheating and stealing. Um, That's when it got bad. So I was never I was never it was a control was an illusion.
0: Can you bring me to these times like what what happened? And you know, like in terms of, you know, like um, because the spiral down seems to be kind of almost like a tick moment, you know, like where Whatever happened, you know, like you said, you know, like you, you, you almost uh, become, um, you access what you use to what you sell. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, like, can you, can I elaborate on, you know, like how did it start spiraling down?
1: I mean, when you, when you take, when you take a shipment of Coke, let's say it's a kilo and each time you're. You're chopping it, you're chopping it in half, then you're chopping it in a quarter, then you're chopping it in an eighth, then you're taking, then, you know, you're taking that other half that you're, or whatever the percentage is, you're supposed to be making the profits off that and rolling the money over. When there is no money being rolled over and you're just snorting everything, then it just goes, and you can't pay back the person you took it from. So you take some from somebody else and you're constantly taking from other people trying to, this juggling act of having constantly trying to come up with some money to pay one guy so he'll give you some more to then sell some more and do some more and then it it just eventually runs out it's like it's like water swirling down the drain it's like you know at one point somebody just pulls the plug and the water will will drain for a while but eventually there's going to be a large sucking noise yeah and, and it's just that there's no more cocaine and there's no more money. And you owe everybody money. You owe everybody tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you have no way to pay it back. And it's nobody like, will give you any cocaine to sell because you've ripped off everybody.
0: The best image is um, paying your monthly your monthly statement of a credit card with another credit card.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, mean, I was doing this scam when ATMs first came out before they had all these security procedures and everything, this was very early in, in 1980 or whatever, 81 or you'd say something around there. And I would make deposits in my bank account when they had the envelopes that you'd put in, yeah. and I would say deposit $1,000, and then I would immediately withdraw $800. Yeah. So the system thought I had $1,000. Exactly. They are like, wait, here, take 800. So I was like, I was doing that everywhere constantly. And then they would shut down my bank account. I would go create another bank account at a different bank. I'd give them five hundred dollars. I'd put in I'd you know, I'd run that out in, you know, about a week or two. You know. So it was just, you know, everything, it was a lo- I was taking losses everywhere. And it was a constant series of trying to You know juggle these you know 18 you're trying to juggle every if you're juggling three balls to begin with and you're doing pretty well and then somebody throws you a fourth ball and a fifth ball and all of a sudden the balls are just flying everywhere and you're not juggling anymore you're just you're just dodging balls and everything is just fucked, and your life is crumbling around you and you can watch it and you can't not only are you doing it not not any not anything i wasn't doing anything to stop the cycle I was doing everything possible to make everything worse.
0: When you say worse, I was expecting the word work, you know, like to make the thing work.
1: No. <laughs> it just got worse. It got oh no, worse. no, it,
0: it got worse. But you know, like I mean, you know, like the the I love the juggling image because, you know, like there's there's something about, you know, like kind of keeping the show going yeah. and and um in terms of, you know, like at some point you're, you either fake it or you know, like, you, you, you look like, um, headless chicken where you're know, like, you run around and you're know, like, yeah. you just try to patch here, patch there and it, it will never work like that. That it's, 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 it's destined to be a fucking disaster, but yeah. you seem to be doing everything to make it work,
1: even though it won't work. No. Um, you no. when we're out. not only did it not work, it got terrible it got horrific at every single thing i did made everything worse Because I was i i didn't i and i stopped caring my life was falling apart but i didn't think that i didn't think that highly or like my life that much to begin with so who gave a fuck? Well, then i tried then i tried committing suicide a couple times that didn't work so it just you know just got just got, and just kept getting worse
0: can you uh bring me to you know like the first uh sometimes it's much earlier than that you know but was there you know like 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 the the first um seed of you either waking up on an hangover or whatever that you start thinking that this cannot be how life goes you know like this cannot be you know like how you know like you know like normal people don't go through life like that or you know like whatever the you know, like the thought process was of, you know, like kind of getting those first seeds of what the fuck is going on? You know, like that, that can't be it. Let
1: me, let me, let me, let me just pause you there for a second. And this is something I hear in sobriety a lot where people say, no matter how many times I tried to stop, you know, I promised it would be the last time I never had that feeling. I was, I remember being 16 years old, and driving to school. And there was a liquor store, me and my best friend, Rusty, who died from this disease. we were I was 16, he was 15, and we would stop at the liquor store, get a pint of uh, vodka and a quart of orange juice. Um, sorry, I don't know that in metric terms. Um, and we would, we would put the vodka in the orange juice and we would drink it. And I remember looking over at him one morning and saying like, I'm an alcoholic. And he was like, so am I. And we cheered and we drank our vodka and orange juice and we did a couple bumps of Coke and we smoked some weed and we were off to high school. And I never experienced, I have to stop this. I've got to stop. Why is my life like this? I, it just, it was an exacerbation the feelings of worthless worthlessness it was just like i thought this was just who i was i thought this was just my lot in life i thought this was just what i was destined for i never questioned it i didn't think i was that great to begin with so when everything falls apart you're like well this is just what happens to shitty people
0: so did you embrace did you embrace like 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 dying young and all that stuff, you know, I
1: didn't, I didn't embrace dying young. It wasn't, you know, live hard, die young, anything like that. It was just, just, I was just existing. I believe this was my state of existence. This was, this was all the the life had for me. was, I was just going to be a drunk and a drug addict. And I would just keep going and bouncing from town to town or from home to home or place to place, wherever it was. And it was always going to be a shit show because I was a, I was not a good person.
0: When does it stops? I mean, like, you know what I'm saying, like in terms of you know, like if, if it was never like like even like a seed in your in the back of your mind that, you know, like this diet, there's like a component of that daily diet that, you know, like that's problematic.
1: Yeah. Um, How I went to 12 rehabs in 11 of those rehabs. I drank, I got high and I fucked every girl that I could. And I lied to everybody. And I pretended to be sober and I pretended to work the steps. I pretended to have a sponsor. It went on forever. It went on forever. So you knew about the program. You knew about. Yeah. I went to my first. So I got thrown in rehab in 1983 1980 1983 yeah 1983 i was sent to went to my first rehab in 1983 i didn't get sober until 5 years later and a bunch of about like six rehabs in between then and then i went to i went to a couple of rehabs and then i had i was sitting i'd gone to the final rehab it was it was a 90 day program it took me a year to complete a 90 day program because I broke so many rules. And I'd gotten drunk there, but no, nobody ever found out. They never tested me. Um, and then they sent me to a halfway house, which was part of the same program. And I met a girl and I got married. I married her in February, February of 1988. And we were together for about 11 months. And after that, we, I guess it must have been about January, we, we split up, we separated. She had two kids, she had a six-year-old and a seven-year-old, seven-year-old and a four-year-old. Um, and we separated and I was sitting in my new apartment a week, about, about a week later. And I had a shower curtain, I had an alarm clock, radio, I had a pillow, a blanket, no bed, and a bag of, and a, and a laundry basket of clothing. And that's all I had in the world. I mean, I had a job, but I just didn't have anything else in my apartment. And it was a night, and I was sitting on the floor, and I had—I felt a thump. I felt a physical tap in my chest. And I had this feeling come over me that was very profound, that I, was, I had had enough of being a fuck-up. I was such an embarrassment to my family. I mean, here I was getting a divorce and nobody in my family has ever gotten divorced. I didn't finish college. Everybody in my family has a college degree. Like I was just the fuck up and I was tired of it. I said, you know what? I said, I'm just gonna try once. I'm just gonna try. I don't think it's worth it. I don't know if it's worth it, but I'm gonna try. So I looked up a meeting eight o'clock meeting or whatever it was. And I, I showed up and I sat outside smoking cigarettes until everybody, walked. like I sat across the street and I waited until everybody went inside. And then like 15 minutes after the meeting started, I walked in, took a seat in the back row. And then before about 10 minutes before the meeting was over, I left. But it was the very first time I'd gone to a meeting of my own will that I decided I wasn't there with a the rehab. I wasn't there, you know, pretending to be because me and my wife were sober and we were going to meetings together. It was the first time I chose to do it. And that was the moment that the rest of my life changed.
0: What do you think happened that day? You know, like it was there was it the 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 fact that you went to your own will, which I guess it is. But, you know, like, did you hear something that night or or?
1: nothing that I hadn't heard a thousand times before it wasn't what I heard. It was what, you know, I talk about this all the time. It's willingness. Yeah. I was finally willing. I was willing to try. And I say this to people a lot. It doesn't need to be, you know, 80% willing in 20. Listen, If you can be 51% willing to do something and still 49% willing and I need 1%. If you can make a 1% move, In the direction of your dreams it'll change everything yeah well i went by i went by myself and then you know listen i went again the next day and i went a little less late and i went and i left a little less early and then within a week or so i was staying for the whole meeting and then you know six months go by four or five months go by and i'm very comfortable and i know everybody and i'm hugging everybody and shaking hands but i'm still full of shit i've been in so many rehabs i knew how to sound like i was sober and i knew how to quote the big book and quote the steps and all the stuff and bill and bob and i knew i knew how to talk again here i was a chameleon it was just instead of drug dealing now it was AA, and i was fitting in again but people were nice to me so it was okay and i was being nice to them and that was okay and i was sharing one night i said you know i'd gone to the mall that day and you know, I had a real hard time. I had wanted to have a drink, but I didn't. And I was congratulating myself in the meeting. I was sounding very profound and spiritual. You know, I knew how to talk. I knew how to bullshit. And I remember this guy was sitting in front of me and he looked like Bluto from Popeye. I don't know if you have Popeye in Canada. Yeah, we do. <laughs> he literally had big black hair, big beard, an anchor on one forearm, a dragon on the other. And he turns around to me. And I was almost a year sober at that point. And he goes, you're a fucking alcoholic. Of course you wanted to drink. That's what we do. It's no big deal. And he turned back around and I started and my old angry, violent street guy self was like, does this motherfucker know who he's talking to? Does this guy know who I am? I've got almost a year sober. Everybody here likes me and I got pissed. And then we took a cigarette break and we were standing across from each other in this horseshoe turnaround of a, you know, entrance to an ambulance, hospital. And he started to walk towards me and I got ready to fight because that's what I did. So I took off my watch, my rings, I put everything in my pocket. I took off my necklace and he got close to me and he opened up his arms and I stepped back and I balled up my fists and he came at me and he wrapped me in this big hug he's like, man, it's gonna be okay. And at that moment, everything, every, every bit of anger and pain fell away. And I've never been that was the moment of like my spirit, that was my moment of grace, where this man was like, what's your name, dude? I was like, I'm Noah. And he's like, I'm Johnny, it's gonna be okay. And he then became my sponsor, my best friend, my brother, my uncle, my mentor, my guide, my spiritual guide, uh, my guru. He was one of the best friends I ever had. And he rests in peace, but he changed my life. And I wow. thought we would fight him.
0: That's that's crazy. I mean, um, those moments of frustration or interpretation of what the intent of the person in front of us is, yeah. you know, that's that sometimes is it almost kills us, you know, like and I mean, you know, like not physically, but you know, like um, kind of in I- even in our soul. You know, like feeling that you know, like the the self judgment and the self deprecation of ourselves. You know, like the guy says that, and you know, like you kind of bulk up your ego in the same time. You're you're eating up your own spirit. You know, like you you just you know, like it's it's um it's messed up. You know, like for me, it's just yeah. some sometimes you need to kind of step back and say, what you know, like what am I doing here? you know, like, what, what, what is, you know, like, what is that short fuse of mine? You know, like.
1: It was a wall. It wasn't a fuse. It was a wall.
0: And I hate the image of, you know, like, if it makes you angry, it's because it's your, you know, like it's a reflection of your own self. And I'm like, fuck off. You know, like I, it's not necessarily that, you know, like sometimes it happens, but sometimes it's something else. You know, like it, it's either some of my own, traumas you know like even though i think it's a big word but you know like it, it's kind of your own trauma and you know like the, the way you interpret you know like something that's said and you know like it, it kind of triggers you and you know again you know, like i think it's a weird time to talk about triggers but you know
1: <laughs> listen i i don't want to leave that that part out of my story i do have traumas i have been diagnosed with ptsd i have multiple traumas I've been shot at. I've been stabbed. I grew up in a combat, like what was essentially a combat zone, which was the Bronx, New York in the 1970s. Um, I've had, been, had people hold me off the edge of buildings trying to kill me. Um, I've had sexual trauma um, that I've recently realized was sexual trauma. Um, that was not, it was, you know, I thought it was a cool thing. And I bragged about it for a lot of years until somebody very recently in my life said, oh, so you had, you were sexually traumatized. And I was like, No, I was 10 years old. And my friend's older sister gave me a blowjob and taught me how to fuck her. And I was he's like, that's assault. I was like, Oh, yeah, so that happened. And when he said that, I realized that all these years of like, sort of bragging about it were just my way of covering it up, how, you know, sort of not, I don't want to say awful, but like, how uncomfortable. It, it felt, and it made me feel weird. And like, it's not natural for a 10 year old boy to be having sex with a 15 year old girl, you know, and, and I've had violent traumas. And so I've, I've had all those things. I, you know, they've happened to me and I've, I've dealt with them in the way I've dealt with them through the steps and through you know professional counseling and things like that. But why, when you said the word trauma, I didn't want to leave that out of my story because I think it's important to recognize that and let people know that it's okay.
0: And embracing it, embracing yep. it as part of your story. You know, like that's, that's one thing, you know, like even, you know, like some of the, you know, like characters defects um, I've decided at some point, you know, like I think I was after my fifth or sixth year anniversary of sobriety that I decided that some of these defects of characters, uh, of character are gonna be embrace by, you know, like I'm going to embrace him and defining this by a bit of who I am, you know, like I wouldn't be the aggressive, passionate sales guy that I am, you know, like in my professional life, if it wasn't for, for some of these, um, what people would consider are labeled defects, you know, like, and, and I decided to, which is weird, you know, like, um, but You know like there's there's some point that you know like you need to embrace some of the stuff that happened in your life to you know like almost um emerge from that you know like a, a better self
1: i i you know i don't i you know i i hear what you're saying i don't you know everybody's journey is different i don't anything that i consider a defect of character is nothing that i embrace i think there are things that I do that other thing people like you're saying people might say it's a defect of character. I don't see it. But like anything that's been them, you know, the defects of character that we've that we talked about in the book, and we, we, you know, jealousy and anger and rage and um, low self esteem and things like that, uh, those those I work actively to, to keep away to keep out of my life, you know, because I made a decision to turn my life over. Um, And I've asked the I've, I've asked for god to remove those so for me to hang on to him is not for me personally and your journey is your journey and my journey is mine and there's a million different ways to get sober and there's only one way to relapse um you know so i think it's that's the beauty of what we do is that you know you have your way of sobriety and i have mine but we can meet in the middle in a common in a common goal
0: absolutely and and you're you're right when you're you know, like, when there's a static list of what you just mentioned, mm-hmm. I would, I, I'm a hundred percent with you. You know, like if it wasn't, if it was just for anger, but I think you said it right um, at the beginning in terms of some, um, as maybe brought that list to a point where they would identify stuff that I am into what, you know, like at, as defects of character and, and, um, at some point, you know, like I need to push these away as, you know, like kind of a judgment of, you
1: know, like my, my personality, you know? So I don't, I don't, you know, what, what other people think of me, uh, I don't really care how I affect other people I care about. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Those are two completely different ends of the spectrum. Listen, I, my, my old sponsor, another sponsor, May rest in peace, Al, used to say, listen, life is like walk every time. It's like walking in a room where there's 100 people. 50 of them don't like you and 50 of them love you. Which 50 are you going to pay attention to? You know and so it's like i pay attention to the people that get me that love me i am i i believe i'm a man of honor and truth and respect and i try to be i try my best to be kind to people if i'm unkind or i say something that hurts somebody's feelings i immediately on the spot make amends and i apologize and you know to never do that again you know i'm flawed i'm i have i have I have difficulties sometimes you know especially being an older man in a a young world where everybody is very sensitive and the rules of speech have changed yeah uh, how you can talk to people the way the words you can use and sometimes i get caught you know i'm like i'm a kid from the 70s and it's 2020 and it's a long time you know and and it's i don't say you know things that are like vehemently racist or sexist but somebody will catch me and be like you know we don't really use that language anymore i'll be like okay and i learn
0: yeah and and i think we lost in the past few years we lost a bit of the the purpose of intent you know like you know like you know like you just said it you know you're intentionally not into that you know like so so you know like anyone that knows me you know like you know like and and, you know uh, a few years ago i offended someone and they were like yeah but you know like you 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 offended me and i was like but it was never my intention yeah. i'm sorry about it you know like but if you didn't catch that i'm not that type of person you don't know me well you know like i'm i i would never do something to truthfully hurt someone you know like i hmm. ever you know like so so as i talked you know like as i mentioned you know like some of my I do have like sometimes like a rougher and a tougher humor, you know. like can and and you know like sometimes it, it like it it shakes people and but we we it, you you said it best. You know, like the past few years has been um, a bit. Um, we lost the interpretation or the translation of intent. You know, like even though some words may sound, you know. Old timers and you know, <laughs> out of you know, like out of our times, um, it, it, it is never. And I get that you know, like there are um, outrageous stuff that you can't say, you know, like and I would never say them. But you know, like sometimes even in, um, we're getting more and more sensible to that. You know, like and 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 it's a tough time for it.
1: I listen. If I offend somebody, I immediately apologize. I check myself on my intention and was I, was I careless? And I have been, you know, I've been careless with my words and that's gotten me into trouble, but not, not bad trouble, but you know, like I don't want to ever hurt anybody's feelings. So, you know, if I, if there's things that I want to say or things, stupid things that I want to say, listen, I leave it to, I leave it between me and my best friend, you know, cause we can laugh about stuff that's just between us. But my, my intention of walking through the world and the only way that I can stay sober is to make sure my side of the street is clean. If I offend somebody and they want to hold on to that and be angry at me or like have a resentment, that's on them. They'll, yeah. they'll never hear those words come out of my mouth again. Yeah. So that's that's purely on them. But me, I want to clean up my side of the street. I want to correct any wrongs I've made and I want to treat people with kindness and dignity and love the um,
0: last, you know, like the the second to last question I got for you, Noah, is, um, what would be, you know, a kind of a healthy diet, a healthy diet of k- keeping your sobriety, um,
1: healthy. You know, it's, 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 we, it's a, it's a simple program for common, complicated, complicated people, you know, it's, it's like they said to me, when I first came around AA, sit down, shut up, close your mouth, open your ears, go to meetings, don't drink, call your sponsor. And it's still that way today. You know it's still it's still so simple. It's a very simple thing to do and we complicate it. we make it complex. You've got to work the steps. you got to read the book, you got to do it. you don't have to do it every day. You have to work the steps when you first get sober, and, you know, immediately. That's the, you know, that's what is most important to, to complete the steps and have that feeling of completion and know and have that profound spiritual experience. And then the main, then to maintain that. One thing that we haven't talked about is that, you know, I had, after I had that, you know, powerful spiritual moment, I had 15 years of sobriety and I relapsed. Because in the last for the last year of that for the first 14 years, I was the guy. I went to every meeting. I spoke I spoke, I spoke at a big uh, I think it was Eastern Canada convention, you know years decades ago, you know, when I was living in Connecticut, you know, I was a speaker at a convention up there. I was a circuit speaker. I went to meetings. I went to every meeting every night I had like 20, 30 sponsors, grand sponsors, great grand sponsors. I mean, I did everything, but in the last year, I stopped going to meetings. I stopped going to meetings and I smoked a little weed and I didn't stop for three and a half years because I went right back into what I do best. I started dealing weed and I dealt so much weed and I dealt it on such an epic level that I got arrested and I was facing about 15 years in prison. And I got a really good lawyer and I did you know six months in, in, in rehab. And when I walked into the rehab, I was like, holy shit, I used to be sober and I forgot about my sobriety and that was 13 about 13 and a half years ago so you know now I'm just I refuse to ever be that guy again so I won't slip I won't I won't let up on my meetings you gotta go to meetings
0: have you added um have you added you know like you you, you talked about you know like your job being in spinning classes and you know have you added kind of you know like the healthy living to that you know like because you know like there is um you know, like, you know, like, I, I've added it kind of to my ammunition, making sure that I train, you know, like, you know, like that I, that I keep my body, um, in some kind of shape, you know, <laughs> you know, like I, I you know, like I, I try to eat clean, you know, like even saying it, I feel ashamed saying it, but, um, but you know, like I, I've added to even in readings, you know, like in, in, in expanding my, my, culture of you know like other people doing it in different ways and um have you you added stuff to that you know like kind of almost that triangle of Mm -hmm. habits
1: physically i uh you know i i started when i got sober this time after i was a couple years sober i started working as case manager in rehabs and when you're in when you're working in rehabs you do a lot of redirection with clients it's like if you're inside and they're feeling like shit, you go let's go outside and have a smoke and if you're outside and they're having a smoke and they feel like shit, you go let's go inside and get something to eat so i was bouncing in and out so much that i ended up 300 pounds smoking four packs of cigarettes a day and working 12 hours on 12 hours off at a rehab and i was very close to dying from a heart attack because i was so fat and then i went to this place called soul cycle and i started riding and i lost about a hundred pounds In a little over 90 days. And they asked me to become because they'd had a bunch of people who worked for the company who were instructors that came from the physical fitness field. But I was coming from the mental health and the spiritual world. So they asked me to become an instructor, I moved back to New York. And for the first seven, six years that I was here, I've been teaching for eight years, um, I was riding almost every day, and I was maintaining my weight, and I was in great shape. But about two years ago, I had my my knees started giving out because I played a lot of sports when I was younger and a lot of fighting and my knees took the brunt of my physical abuse. So my knees gave out and I had to have my right kneecap replaced. So I haven't been able to ride the bike and do all the fitness things that I want to do. So I sort of got in not great shape. And then this last August, I had a heart attack and nearly died. And so, and then I also became diagnosed when I went to the hospital, I got diagnosed as a type two diabetic. So now I'm getting exercise all the time and I'm eating very well. So, you know, it's, it's what I, what I don't take care of will either whether it's sobriety or my physical health or my mental health, it will come back, it will pop up, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna become a problem. If I don't take care of it, you know, I believe this is a mental, physical and spiritual process of recovery and you've got to take care of all three. You know if you're just if you're just eating everything in sight and you're gaining a bunch of weight and you're not gonna be happy. yeah. Um,
0: the last question I got for for you I no know. is
1: I also know a bunch of people who are super physically fit and in great shape. I had a friend of mine, you know, a good friend of mine who was like super fitness guy and posting all these pictures of his fucking six pack abs all over Instagram. And he was fucking so spiritually and emotionally sick that he ended up having to go to fucking rehab without drinking. He had to go back to fucking sex rehab because we were fucking just so you, I don't care about your six pack abs. Everything has to be taken care of.
0: Exactly. No, 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 exactly. And I think, you know, like I had a conversation with a friend of mine that, um, um, anyways, you know, like he's, he's over a year now sober and, uh, two years now. And we had a conversation about, um, feeling yourself, yeah. you know, like, you know, like, um, I have, you know, like I have, um, I think this is probably one of the most important aspect of, uh, keeping your sobriety sane is to feel yourself, you know, like there's, there's huge debate around, you know, like, for example, you know, like the, the um, um, beer with no alcohol in you know like and some are so against it and some are just like well you know like if it if it keeps you going you know sober that's fine like and i and um recently someone um you know like i had like a sample um taste of uh something that was like i don't know there's like a gin and tonic with no alcohol in there's like ramen um, rum and coke with no alcohol in yeah. And um, I had a taste of it, and it it never ever triggered me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, like I I've been drinking sparkling water and water for the past <laughs> fifteen years. You know, like so that's kind of a change of taste that you know, like I'm I welcome it. You know,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and and why my wife know, knew my my position against you know like uh, you know like a, a non alcoholic beer and 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 she was like. Is it, is it okay? Uh, I was like, well, I need to feel myself. You know, like I I really need to step back and listen to myself, you know, like, and don't not bullshit me, not lie to me, not, you know, like be a hundred percent honest about this, you know, like, or else I'm falling into a trap. You know, like I'm, I'm I'm definitely, you know, like the insidious part of the sickness will let me fall into that trap. And I think that's the most important piece of it. You know, like, you know, like, you know, like sometimes I talk uh to myself in a negative way, you know, like in terms of my physical health, you know, like if I if I slack, if I let go, you know, like, okay, you know, like just step it up, you know, and then, you know, like I, you know, I swear a lot, but, you know, like there's a lot of kind of almost like whipping myself to initiate something, whatever it is, you know, like start running, walking, you know, like go outside, you know, like train, you know, like I have... A, you know, like a great installation of, you know, like kind of gym equipment in my garage, you know, like it's like, there's no fucking excuse, you know, like just go in there and push something, you know, and 10 minutes. Uh, yeah. 10. And it's just about feeling yourself, you know, like mm-hmm. and, and amplify it and multiply it. And yeah, you know, like, so, so the, the importance of listening and feeling yourself is, you know, like I think one of the most important aspect
1: of um, getting better, being aware just being aware yeah aware of self yep yeah
0: um the last thing i'm going to ask you noah is you know like i you know like i was inspired for the last hour about you know like your whole story but you know like are you out there in in you know like in the you know like the social medias or you know like are is there ways for people to reach out to you is there a way for people to you know like find you online um you talked about a book, you know, like yeah. you know, like so let I'll, me know what's going I'll, on.
1: I'll go through everything. Um, I, for the last, about over a decade, I've been a life coach. I'm a certified life coach. I have a website, noahshaw.com N-O-A-S-A-J H W. I'm also very big on Instagram. Um, my page about a little less than a year ago, I stopped putting myself on there really, and it's just spiritual sayings. And spiritual, and motivational, and positivity, and love, and kindness, and so that's my page. It's Noah Shaw twenty six on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, people can email me directly if they want. Noah Shaw at mac mac um, You know, I'm happy to help anybody. This is what I do for a living. Outside of you know teaching spinning, I'm also full time. Full time, I work with people. I have clients. Me with every day all around the world, every, I, every age range from 16 to I, my oldest client is 69, 68 years old. Um, so I just work with people and I just, I've been put on this planet. I've been grant granted the gift of sobriety. And, um, I just want to, it's sort of a living, working, constantly amends to the world because I realized after being a drug dealer for so long, the amount of poison and pain that I'd put out in the world that now it's my job to heal, help people heal. So that's what I do.
0: So for every listeners, um, Noah's gonna provide me with all these links. And you know, like if you scroll down to whatever platform, podcast, uh, podcast platform that you're listening it to, just scroll down a bit, you know, like you're going to find all the links. So
1: uh, all for a podcast called I'm Here to Help. So I've got yeah, well absolutely.
0: Well. You know, like, so yeah, I mean, um I was ashamed of telling you that I didn't have the opportunity to listen to it, but yeah. you know, like I will absolutely right after a recording. As somebody
1: very wise once told me, you don't know what you don't know.
0: Exactly. But, you know, um, you know, I didn't do my own work, you know, like, shame on me. No, uh, <laughs> no, no. We had enough shame when we were getting high. <laughs> exactly. Noah, you know, like they, they were, there are some times where, you know, like I, I, I identify myself, uh, and there are some times where at some point during conversations I'm like, what the fuck just happened? The guy got debriefed on my life story and you know, like he's, he's talking about me. We're like, what the fuck's going on here? And uh, I will say to a point where even what you're drinking right now, I'm drinking the same. Yeah. You're drinking a can of Liquid Death. I do have my own can of Liquid Death really? right you now. I'm uh, not a friend kidding. Of mine
1: started, a friend of mine started <laughs> that company. Oh yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm... glad to hear that.
0: <laughs> I, I you, you took a sip like a like half an hour ago. I was like, "Oh, what's going on? Yeah.
1: What's go what's going on?" On my podcast, uh, I I give them a shout out. They're my unofficial podcast sponsor.
0: <laughs> and uh yeah, so it's one of those times where, you know, like the uh, of some of the uh, sayings that you had and some of the, you know, reflection and, and, and not necessarily in, in your life story, but, you know, like in some of the, um, how you felt and, you know, like mm-hmm. how, you know, like the, the, uh, you know, like you got me, you got me, Noah. So, um, oh, I'm, I, I'm, me. yeah, it, it, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for you accepting to be part of that. I'm, and, um, I'm
1: honored to be asked to be on the show. So thank you.
0: so yeah you know all i can say is thanks to you noah it was a pleasure talking to you au revoir au revoir